I thought Vezenkov could have passed that ball. I think that's the moment that Vezenkov will dream in his nightmares. I mean, that's three-point attempt with Olympiakos being up by four. Five F- seconds. Fifteen. Five seconds, seconds to, to play in the fourth quarter. Five seconds on the shot clock. Vezenkov took that shot, of course, before he hit the logo free. Before he hit a fadeaway corner free, and how many but, of those he has hit? And he the was season. playing at MVP level. I mean, amazing game by the MVP. But then in this situation, he had Cannon and Slukas on the left side, and on the weak side, Real Madrid had only Kuzer. So basically, you just throw one pass, and it's either Slukas or Cannon taking an open look because they had only Kuzer. So that situation, that pass, that extra pass could have decided the game. And I believe that Sasha, I mean, it's, I don't remember such a great final performance that didn't convert into a victory. 29 points, one shot away from the final records in the EuroLeague history. I mean, we questioned Nikola Mirotic and his, let's say, MVP status when it, when the game matters. Bezenkov played one of the best MVP games that I've, I've seen in the EuroLeague final four history. So, yeah, but, but that situation, that's the, as we said, that's the beauty and the nightmare of the Final Four format. And then the next possession, they have, uh, you know, you have another shot to probably hit the dagger. You're still up by one and there's this uh, pick and roll and Mustafa Fall is shooting a floater for from from free, free throw line, basically. With Sasha Vizenko right behind him also. I know it's just two seconds, you know, you still probably don't know how much time is left, but Olympiakos had their chances to close this game three, four, four times. And I think that's where, you know, them having pressure, them being the best team uh, through the regular season, probably the most consistent one. And Real Madrid basically, you know, not having any any pressure because of what happened in the quarterfinals, because of how many injuries they had in this final four actually worked in their favor. And obviously Real Madrid lives for these moments. I mean, two minutes to go, minus six, that's all we need. Like, say no more, fam. We are going to take it. It's in, it's incredible how every time they find they find a way, they find they find someone, you know, who to who to make who makes a big shot and, and just uh and that's just like w- wins Spanish these games. basketball heritage, not only Real Madrid. Yeah. You can you can say the same about the Spanish national True. team if you watch how they won the Eurobasket mm-hmm. Take let's say the eight final versus Lithuania. They were in in a similar posi- position that uh, Real Madrid was in, in this Euroleague final, and I think it's a lesson to be learned for everybody that if you want to beat these Madrid guys, you need to be up by ten. Got to do it before. You need to be up by ten in the middle of the fourth quarter to feel uh, comfortable and secure because when you're up six, seven, or five, four, it's just not enough. Uh, when these guys know that. They only need to stop two possessions and they need to make two shots. They feel that they can win this game and that they can take this game. Uh, when Chacho took matters to his own hands in the fourth quarters, it was really beautiful. He did it once again. Uh, we remember what happened in the game five uh, of the quarterfinals. He did it also in the semifinal versus Barcelona. And this time it was on another level. He was close to a double-double. His pick and rolls with Tavares... Uh, were killing Olympiacos in these uh, final minutes. Although, after that Barsocas challenge, I thought that Olympiacos still has this game. Uh, there was like a minute and 20 seconds left, and the out-of-bounds call was for Real Madrid, mm. that Cannon uh, 
knocked the ball out of Tavares' hands. But on the replays, we all saw that. That's clear. Uh, yeah, Cannon didn't even touch, touch the ball. The ball. So Barzokas took the challenge. The challenge was successful. And at that time, I felt like mm. they're fine. They're still going to win this game. But I was I was wrong. I didn't really expect uh, Sergio Yu, who didn't have a single field goal and the whole night, to take the last shot and to make the last shot. And you cannot say that it was an easy shot. It was a tough one. The whole se sequence was interesting because it turned out that it wasn't an original plan to set up the play for Sergio Yu. It was maybe Fabi Fabian Cozer taking the last shots. Uh, Mario Hezonia also told that he was about to set the screen for Sergio and took the ball in his hands to decide the game. But when he he said that in a split of the second, he rem he remembered who Sergio Yu is, what he is known for, and he just said, hey, we just decided to stay in the corner and let them do the magic. And he did the magic. And it feels like that basketball is a simple game where 10 individuals are chasing the ball for 40 minutes and Spanish team always win it. Because, I mean, last year's Eurobasket, as I said, Gran Canaria winning the EuroCup, now Real Madrid winning the EuroLeague. It's just a crazy uh, chapter for Spanish basketball. Uh, and their well. domination is just established once again. And you know, one other thing I want to add about this uh, last shot by Sergio Yui, uh, it's not just that he made a shot, it's the perfect timing, because Mustafa Fall is drawn to him, which means that Eddie Tavares is near the rim uh, with a smaller opponent, I believe it was Vizenkov. So when you take the shot with three, pa or, four, three or four, yeah, Papa Nicolau, so there's three or four seconds on the clock, even if you miss, there's a good chance Eddie Tavares will grab the offensive rebound. And in these moments, you realize uh, the greatness of veteran players that they can do the same things in a regular season game and in a final on the same level with the same uh, preciseness. Like uh, th that was the perfect timing to, to take the shot. Uh, after that, of course, there's still 3.2 seconds on the clock for Olympiacos uh, to, to, to win it. Uh, but... In the end, yeah, again, Chacho, Yui, making all the big plays. It just looks, it, it seems inevitable. As long as these guys somehow get to the final four, because the toughest part for them was to get to the final four, not to actually win it. It's still crazy that and they're there. Never in my life I I thought that I would see 35 minutes of two free zone in the EuroLeague final, honestly. Before we get into that, one last note about, about the final shot. The crazy part to me is it's not Sergio Yui hitting the shot because we have seen him hit, hit those shots. It is that he actually, it was a design play for him. Like you can see a pin down screen for him to come and take the ball. But this guy has zero made field goals in this game. He basically played 11 minutes. You are without a rhythm because you have not seen the ball go through the net up until this point. And Chacho Rodriguez, who has 15 points, who has nine? Who has nine assists? Is has balled out throughout this, taking you know Real Madrid to be in this position, and he's standing in a corner, and he's guarded by Thomas Walkup, and Sergio Yui is guarded by Isaiah Cannon, I think, on on that last shot. Maybe yeah. Papa Nicolau before no? the switch, wasn't it Costas? Yeah, Costas, Costas, Papa Nicolau, and you know that's. Also, I think why Real Madrid could have gone to Sergio Yui because you don't want Thomas Walkup defending on this. Even though they switch, you know, and we have seen switches in the possessions before, you have uh, Papa Nicolau 
and or maybe Isaiah Cannon if he wouldn't have switched on the first screen. And then you have Mustafa Fall. So also, it takes big balls to give the ball to a player. I know it, this is Sergio Yui where I'm talking about, but he hasn't hit a shot but for 39 minutes. To be honest, I'm not sure if such thing as Sergio Yui out of the rhythm exists. I remember that game against Barca in the regular yeah, that, season. That's true, but He still. was scoreless in the three quarters and he, he scored like 15 crazy points in the fourth to, to force the game to overtime. There's no... For a veteran like him, I'm not saying there exists, but you know no, you have I, I you have one guy yeah, with yeah. 15 and nine who but has it's been. Sergio Yui. It's just Sergio and Yui. and you have a guy who has. I mean, Chacho Rodriguez is in the same position. You know, he doesn't really have. Uh, you know that that switch. You know, look, He's, these guys prove once again that, that they know how to play when it matters. They can have their ups and downs, and mostly downs during the regular season. Let's be fair that uh, Sergio Yui hasn't been that great for the last couple of years. Uh, Sergio Rodriguez didn't really get as many minutes as we probably expected when he returned to Real Madrid. And and it could be easy for you to say that Williams Goss is their best perimeter player and they should run more through him, but these guys just know how to play when it matters the most and you still see Chacho, Yui and, and Rudy in the same lineup when they're closing the game, both in the semifinal and in the final. Cause, so Cosera yesterday... Amazing as game well, for him yeah. as well, Another hitting veteran those player. open spot-up shots. Even though you mentioned Williams Goss, I think he needs a, a huge shout-out for his play in the playoffs and, and in the Final Four. I mean, Guy uh, has been hitting at a high percentage those long mid-ranges, playing great defense, hitting the freeze when, when there is an opportunity. I was really impressed by him, you know, in the second half of the season. I've heard that uh, Nigel Williams Goss was maybe one of the top names on Jargiris' priority list uh, because he's on an expiring contract and it would, Jargiris is looking for another combo guard and they, they are targeting Nigel William Gus for, for many years already. But I mean, as you mentioned, in the playoffs, he was great. Since game three, the, the decisive game uh, in Belgrade where he scored 22 points uh, until the final game, he and was averaging... Back, right? Yeah, and he was averaging 11.4 points and two assists per game on 50% two-point shooting and 40% three-point shooting. And showing this all-around game, I really doubt now that he's, he's at the standard of, uh, you know, if Jalgris can afford him. I, I really think that, that Madrid, they either extend him or he'll just go to some, some another big club on a big paycheck. I mean, they still have the Spanish League playoffs. Uh, I mean, if he continues like that and puts up numbers like that in the Spanish League playoffs, then I, I do believe uh, he would not be available for Jalgiris to sign. Yeah, yeah. I'm already thinking that he's already out of Jalgiris. But I'm really happy for him because of uh, one thing. Last year in the Final Four, he got injured in the first minutes of the game uh, in the semifinal. And he was out and, and Real Madrid basically was without a point guard. Uh, and this year, not only he was available, but he was one of the key players for them. Maybe not in the fourth quarter, but uh, Chus Mateo always, it seemed like he had a plan uh, to have these uh, younger players to cover most of the minutes in the second half. Like, let's say, 14-15 uh, minutes of Williams Goss, Adam Hanga, Mario Hezonia, Janan Musa, and then to have these experienced mm -hmm. players with their extremely high-level know-how to close the game in the last four or five minutes. Because everybody knows that if Sergio Rodriguez starts playing aggressive pick-and-rolls from the very first minutes, 
he will gas out and and it wouldn't be possible for him to do all these plays in the fourth quarter but now you know why they just save their energy this to play their best basketball when it matters you made a good point about these lineups uh, both in semifinal against Barca under the title game basically choose Mateo through the lineup with like seven eight minutes remaining with at least three guys over 35 years old uh, 35 years so yeah that 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 was a interesting way to manage the rotation putting these three veterans I think against Barca it was Rudy and now Fabian Cozer because he also had amazing stretch sparking that run or just uh, letting them breathe when Vazenkov was uh, making crazy shots and Cozer was always responding with uh, three pointers and of course I think that to be honest I think that I think that Eddie Tavares is the MVP of the postseason but the final four MVP for me was Sergio Rodriguez I mean Title game, 15 points, 9 assists, final four averaging 13.5 points on crazy shooting over 50%, both 2-pointers and 3-pointers, 7 assists, 1.5 steals, 18 performance index rating, 4-quarter against Olympiacos, 8 points, 4-quarter against Barca, 9 points. I mean, he was clutch, uh, he was a true leader, true floor general when it mattered, and I mean, I think that he he, he was a bit more decisive figure for well, Real Madrid. I, I understand this point of view. I respect the opinion, but I disagree because none of this would be possible without Eddie. They wouldn't be in a position to do anything like this. He played 35 minutes in both games. Uh, the two-free zone wouldn't work without a without guy like him. Eddie. Exactly. Uh, the rim Good protection point. and everything he does for the team. And yeah, he averages a double-double in, in both games. Maybe it was a more spectacular performance versus Barcelona, but it makes sense because he was facing Serta Tranli. Now he was facing Mustafa Fall, so it's a tougher battle. But but in general, yes, these guys made a place. So of course, it's always about the guards who create, but without Eddie, none of this would be possible. There was no backup center. They didn't have Vincent Poirier. When when Tavares got some rest, it was Anthony Randolph just covering some minutes to do the best that he can. Okay, on offense, he can still um, score some points, but defensively, it's tough for him. So if you want to play a 2-3 zone for 35 minutes, it's impossible without a center like Eddie Tavares. They would be killed without him. And... I love Chacho Rodriguez. To me, he's one of my favorite players. And I remember just talking this season about Milan's struggles and saying they miss a guy like him, like Chacho, who could go on to these runs, crazy periods where he just dominates the ball, creates everything on the court. But even yesterday, you know, not only Tavares, you know, made a huge impact on defense on that zone, you know, protecting the rim, but also on their pick and rolls. Chacho has so much freedom because of Walter Tavares rolling to the rim. And even sometimes, you know, Mustafa Fall is there in the paint. Tavares rolls, but blocks him instead of, you know, asking for the ball. So Chacho can lay up, lay up, make an easy layup, score an easy layup. So, or they are going back from the guard because Walter Tavares, you can just lob it up for him easily and he will just, you know, do the alley-oop, alley-oop jam. So, I mean, both guys played great both deserve deserve all the compliments all the great words but um i mean to me also tavares's impact is 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 a little bit bigger you know than than chacho but you you cannot say nothing bad it's hard for me to choose because 
because, because it's Sacho a, Rodriguez, and it you was know? a collective, you know, yeah. effort and from I, all the players. As I mentioned, none of this would be possible if Cosero was not shooting those three pointers in the fourth quarter. He has only had some great stretches. Nigel William Goss. I mean, it was a great collective effort by this whole Real Madrid team, and everybody played their role in this championship run. And I don't, re I don't really think that they care, you know, who got the MVP. I think no, no, no. Of course, uh, they got the title that nobody expected them to win. Uh, and they they are so, so so happy with that. And one guy you didn't mention, but I think who also deserves some credit. I think we need to talk about the 19-year-old uh, Elian Jai. I think he's still 80, yeah. 18. Oh yeah, I think his birthday is in June. Okay. So yeah. Okay, 18-year-old guarded uh, three top power forwards offensively in Europe in three games. He started Zach Lide, Sasha Vizenkov, and Nikola Mirotic. And only yesterday. You know, mm -hmm. after Sasha missed a couple of frees, he got him, he let Sasha to go, you know, on closeouts to his left hand after he scored. But I mean, without him as well, and without him, you know, putting the tone on, on the defensive side in these three games, giving yeah. solid eight, seven to minutes for Real Madrid in, in each of those three decisive games, because game five was also like, you know, a single elimination yeah. for them. I mean, it's incredible how Real Madrid just finds these talents year and year out and they trust them in these big moments. You know, other coaches wouldn't do that. So Tus Mateo deserves a credit not all, only for that zone defense you mentioned, but also for having confidence in, in, in their, and, in their and guys. And for the player to have such confidence because basically you know that you will play like seven or eight minutes and then it's going to be 30 minutes of Mario Hazonia. You realize that probably after this, you're not coming back on the court. You just mm -hmm. have to do your job uh, at the beginning of the game. And Elian Jai, I don't know, but maybe like a few months ago, if you would ask him about the final four, he would say, "Yeah, I'm probably going to play in the in the final four of the uh, <laughs> youth tournament, next generation tournament, right?" Uh, but all of a sudden he's with the first team because they don't have uh, Corneli, uh, Yabusele, they, they have and, only and <laughs> They have one center and Anthony Randolph, who has been a four, but now is a five because of his injuries. Yeah. So yeah, that is that is huge for for a young player. That's that's a great experience. Not only you you're a Euroleague champion, but you actually contributed to the yeah. title, which is huge. Uh, and I, I just want to ask you guys about this uh, two-free zone from Olympiakos' perspective. Do you think they could have done something differently? Because in my opinion, <laughs> they played the right way. They most of the time did the right things against the zone. Uh, we can discuss uh, whether there were the lineups that Barsakos chose were, were good. But in general, I thought they did all the right things to attack the zone from the middle, to, to share the ball, to find open guys on the perimeter, to create good looks, which they did of course there were some shots uh, Real Madrid gave them like Thomas Walkup or Shaq McKissick. Shaq McKissick but in general I thought Olympiacos played a normal game what can you expect against the two free zone and they were just basically one shot away from closing the game so do you think that they could have done something differently to be in, in a better position I think you know Real Madrid obviously chose a huge lottery in, in a single elimination game. I mean, every time you talk about do or die game, shooting is what is extremely important because on any other day, Thomas Walkup and Shaq McKissick might hit one or two threes and Olympiakos wins this game pretty easily. 
But yesterday they were m missing a lot of good looks. Uh, talking from tactical perspective, I saw basically this one play they were running where they tried to overload one side, you know, with players running to the left uh, side of the court all the time, two or three players trying to overload. Sometimes they worked. In the fourth quarter, Real Madrid already knew what Olympiacos were doing. So they were just kind of picking out the shooters. Okay, Isaiah Cannon is going over there. We take him. Thomas Walkup is there. We're just basically giving him space to shoot. And if he goes inside, there is Walter Tavares. Yeah. And that is what worked. You know, they played this lottery, and but they played this lottery the right way, leaving Walkup and McKissick open. That's why I think the only the only rotation I would have done differently is, you know, Isaiah Cannon is hot. Not only, you know, when a player is this hot, you might say, you know, he is having his birthday. But this guy was quite literally having his birthday <laughs> yesterday. And to me, I miss him a little bit on the court. I know that, uh, or Costas Papanikolaou in the fourth quarter. I know that without walk-up, you are leaving out your best defender, you know, uh, out of the court. And Shaq McKissick also gives the same, and he got some nice drives. But I think having four shooters and not three, you know, maybe would have given them one more three-pointer. That's the only part, the rotation part of Isaiah Cannon and Costas Papanikolaou in the fourth quarter. If I, I mean, could add, sorry to interrupt you, but if I could add, uh, maybe seeing how Real Madrid defended, it was an option to sub out Vizenkov at some point of the game, to have him fresher in the fourth quarter, because you do have Alec Peters, mm. an excellent spot-up shooter. So if they're in a 2-3 zone, if Alec Peters gets a, an open look, he will take it, and, and there's a good uh, good chance that he would make it. And Wazenkov ended up playing almost the whole 40 minutes, and since they were sort of in control, leading by four, six points, I do believe that maybe sometime in the third quarter or in the second quarter, he could have but it's given some rest to, to Sasha. He was so hot, 20 points in the first three quarters. We're just talking about Isaiah Cannon also being super hot and how hard it is to bench the guy like him and mm. he's on his night. So, I, I know I'm grasping at straws, basically, yeah, yeah. after the game it, it's, it's, it's done. Sense, it's but easy same to time, say things like this. In game time situation, you have the MVP showing all-time performance. So, But it's it's just, just me talking about Alec Peters, not some random player. Alec Peters is a proven spot-up shooter. And Real Madrid is is, is defending in, in, in a two-free zone for 35 minutes in the game. Uh, but again, that's not the reason why they lost. It's it's not like no. he overplayed Vazenkov and that that, yeah. that that should be considered the reason why they lost. Uh, you can say that they were a bit unlucky in the end, but it, it's always like this in basketball. If the game goes to the final possessions, luck will play some part uh, in, in deciding that game. I just feel sad for Olympiacos because of one one simple reason. They worked so hard for eight months. They did all the right things to, to be the number one seed in the regular season. They uh, managed a tough series versus Fenerbahce. They always look like the best team of the season, very consistent, playing very smart basketball. Uh, they had this historical third quarter versus Monaco in the semifinal. Wow. And it looked like it has to be their year because Real Madrid, I think I'm not the only person who had this feeling like, do I really want to see them winning the championship after what happened in, in, in the quarterfinals? 
No, you were you were definitely not the only one. I mean, it's the first time I heard players being vocal and, and you know speaking publicly that they don't want this team to succeed. Uh, to yeah, succeed because and it's I mean, that's, that's, that's be because here. we have not seen a thing like that succeed. I mean, it's a it basically says you know if you're down zero two make a make your your last choice. You still have a chance. Make this foul. Fight. You start a fight and maybe uh, and maybe you know the suspensions help you. And not and not the yeah, winning team. Yeah, punter is suspended and, for two games, not one. And I know if you know the Real Madrid fans or players are listening to this, and they're saying, "Oh, probably you know, not. <laughs> probably not." No, but fans, I'm I'm talking about you know, and okay. they're saying it's still probably not, but uh, <laughs> but still, it, it's not fair to say this way because you know we came back from zero two, but you can't say that that didn't have an impact on this Euroleague season. And you're and Sergio, you yeah. you were talking about Rodriguez and Walter Tavares, the MVP. What about Sergio Yui hitting the, that one shot and making that one foul? And, and, and you know, it's it's. I don't have anything against them. I appreciate yeah, the, the Real Madrid me too, legends. Me too. I appreciate their legacy. When they last won the title with with Luka Doncic on board, I was kind of celebrating because I thought it's it's really beautiful. That was amazing. But in this case, it seems kind of unfair that Olympiacos players are crying. And and Real Madrid players are celebrating after everything that that went through, but it is what it is. That's that's the Euroleague format once again. We're talking about you work for eight months and then you lose one True. game by one shot. Nah, it was just a pure proof that there's no justice in sports. The same guy, yeah. as I mentioned, this same guy who made this uh, clutch and sportsmanlike foul, he hits the game winner in a game where he didn't connect a single bucket before. For instance, you can begin with Pablo Lasso. I mean, how bad it looked, how Real Madrid parted ways with Pablo Lasso. And then they hired Chus Mateo and he wins the EuroLeague. So it kind of, you know, proves that it was fine. Although it, it was a terrible move by the management. Hey, you know, are using these the negotiations help. with Sergio Scariolo put on hold? I am very interesting <laughs> to there see is no what's way, going on. There is no way you can change a coach who just won the EuroLeague in his rookie season. Probably there, in the it, normal there life, is no way. there was no way it that Real Madrid sense. should have parted ways with Paulo Lasso. Come right? on, I mean, year. this guy, Tus Mateo, deserves a ton of credit. Yeah, I don't care what you think about him, or you know. And we were saying, you know, if is he ready? Is he maybe not ready? That's his yeah, first season. We were season. questioning his decisions as well. We were question. Everybody was questioning his decisions. I mean, the speech that Walter Tavares gave yesterday about him was just amazing, and. And he put it best, but I think Tus Mateo deserves so much credit for actually for that same zone defense, for b believing in that in the quarterfinals, There's for believing about in with, it with the Spanish coaches and and, and the zone and defense, defense. Eurobasket yeah. and Sergio Scariolo, Alba one. Berlin. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, you have to play Israel zone Gonzalez. defense to win championships right now. It seems that way. Although in the amateur league, when when we gather only six players, and I say to my guys, the only way for us to survive this game is. To free zone. I read this shameless plug to play zone defense. And they in are an saying to me that league is incredible. <laughs> uh, no, maybe not. We're not comfortable with the zone. We're not confident. But I'm just saying we will not have energy to play 40 minutes. We need to stand in a zone defense. This is quite a common thing in the amateur leagues. Mm. It's not a common thing on the highest level. 35 minutes. 35 minutes of but two free zone. I think it was such a genius move, you know, because before the game, I said on broadcast. Costas, this is Costas Lucas' game to win. He is a mass. He's yeah. the best point guard I think to have against Walter Tavares. If if the Real Madrid plays individual defense, the drop coverage, yeah. they have so many ways to attack that. And he is just so patient. He has the jump shot after the dribble. He has all the passes. 
And when he steps on the court in the first quarter, they immediately went go zone because they didn't play it from the beginning. When yeah, he the goes first up, two possessions, he played man to man. Yeah, and then after you know more or less when he enters the court, you start with the with the zone defense, and that was incredible. I mean, it it completely you know negated all of this, not all of his strengths, yeah. but a lot of his individual greatness and you, also you're basically making him a, a spot-up shooter which is not his greatest strength and he doesn't really feel that great in in those positions uh, but also to be in a two-free zone you need to play good offense because if you don't play good offense you will not have time to set the zone so to have the zone defense prepared for 35 minutes they also needed to take the right shots to make a good percentage of those to avoid too many turnovers and they did that especially in the first half you can see that mm -hmm. it ended 45 45 45 45 basically they matched olympiakos offense although uh it was different like olympiakos just created shots with passing the ball attacking the zone and real madrid uh, needed some something else but but uh, in in the end they were playing good offense which allowed them to set their zone defense if, if that makes sense to you i think Mario Hezonia against Sasha Vezenkov was such an intriguing matchup to watch, I think, because basically you have a guy, Hezonia, who is playing in the fourth position, but he is basically playing like a guard, mm. running from pin downs, from staggers. And, uh, you know, it was it was hard for Sasha Vezenkov. It was an adjustment to make in the game because usually he guards those power forwards who are setting the, the screens, not guys who gets the screens. So I think, you know, he once fouled, I think, Hezonia for free free throws. Hezonia uh, got some great looks also running off those off those staggers. And it was uh, maybe not because of the zone defense they played. It was not such a huge mismatch, uh, you know, for Vezenkov as we thought it could be. So that zone defense worked amazingly it, yesterday. It feels like... Even, even though I would have said the same thing, even if they lost because it was still a close game yeah. because of that zone defense and because they were leaving the non-shooters open. It feels like Chus Mateo is the most improved coach of the year. And that's probably a fair thing because uh, we were questioning his, his moves, his decisions, but at the same time, it was the first time he took the team over in the last nine years, I think. He was the assistant coach for a long time. And it's natural when you're taking over such a club like Real Madrid, where every loss is, is like a tragedy and you're always under the huge pressure coming from the veterans that you have to handle, from the management and, and fans, a lot of expectations, a lot of money involved. And, you know, he, he did some really nice adjustments, uh, putting the zone defense, changing the momentum of the, of the playoffs. I mean... Yeah, Chus Mateo deserves a huge credit. And what's interesting, uh, coming back to the question about Sergio Scariolo taking over Real Madrid, potentially, I heard that if Real Madrid was eliminated in the playoffs by a partisan, it was kind of something very close to be a done deal between Chus Mateo and Valencia. I mean, that... Chus Mateo and Valencia? Yeah. I mean, that's, oh, okay. that's how how crazy European basketball uh, is, is being run, you know? From not playing in the EuroLeague probably next year to winning it mm. in a matter of... What do you mean? Two weeks. I'm not sure if Valencia are going to play in the EuroLeague. Ah, yeah. So yeah. if he was about then, to be yeah, coach... Because at that time, when the, um, these potential negotiations were happening before Gran Canaria won the EuroCup, it was kind of sure that Valencia was about to play in the EuroCup. 
And yeah, since Gran Canaria, they're probably not going to play in Euroleague. Valencia will stay. Now it's a different conversation. But yeah, but this whole whole market thing, and I'm really intriguing to see if there's, to be honest, if there's any sense between these negotiations, if there's any truth uh, that Scariolo might take over, and is he going to take over the club right now? I don't know. It it would look very weird. I can't imagine. I mean, the guy won EuroLeague mm. in his rookie season with all those injuries in the final four. I know it's Real Madrid. They still had one guy to leave out of their roster because they had so many guys, but he won. Come on. He won the Spanish League finals as an interim coach last mm. year because he had to take over from Pablo Lasso. Uh, then in the summer, Real Madrid made that decision to trust Chus Mateo with the head coach's position. If they decided that uh, they're parting ways with Pablo Lasso, they had time to sign another coach. It's not like they, they couldn't do that, but they trusted Chus. And okay, the regular season was not the best for them, but when you finish in the third seed and you have the home court advantage, you cannot really complain. <laughs> uh, the only problem was the Copa del Rey. Uh, that was the same problem for Barcelona, where where Jesikiewicz is on a hot seat. But we're talking about the coach who, okay, I don't want to say rookie coach. He has been there as an assistant for a, for a long time. Uh, in the past, he has been the head coach of uh, Unicaja Malaga. So it's not like he doesn't have any experience, but it's of course uh, the biggest experience of his of his career so far. After this, and and maybe he even wins the the Spanish crown. Mm -hmm. I. I, I really hope I don't know. that was that would be such a huge disrespect, and we always have the the respect for Real Madrid as an organization because of how they treat their people. That's been you know the respect and confidence. Yeah, in your local sector is like the trademark of Real Madrid culture. They allow the players uh, to retire on their own terms. They allow all these legends to go out the way they want to, like. Felipe Reyes, JC Carroll, it will eventually happen with Yui, Rudy, and 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 Chacho. And they had such continuity with Pablo Lasso for 10 years. And now you have a winning coach. It doesn't look like Real Madrid's way to make these irrational decisions. Although we 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 all know how good is Sergio Scariolo and how respected mm -hmm. he is. And and it might might be tempting for you as a club to to try and go for the the coach who has been uh, so successful with the Spanish national team, but Right now, Chus Mateo has to stay. We can talk all we want on our podcasts because it's our personal opinions when sometimes we say that he, well, Chus Mateo is not a mastermind like Jelko Bradovic or, or, or some other coaches, but the, the only fact that matters is he's a winning coach right now. This game is about winning, not about proving that you have better schemes it's about yeah. winning basketball games, as simple as that. Yeah, and he has Let, done that. Let's hope there's no such thing as an agreement between Real Madrid and Scariolo because it would look like bad. And, you know, sometimes when the rumor is spread and this rumor about Scariolo and Madrid was spread pretty early, you kind of accept it as a fact. People accept it as a fact and sometimes it turns out it's not true. But, but the thing is that the coaching market might get really interesting from what I hear. It, it's very likely that Xavi Pascal will hit the market again, and it's very likely that he will leave uh, Zenit uh, soon. From what I've heard uh, after this uh, semifinal loss, it felt like there's the feeling and a sense that it might be a change in Barcelona regarding the head coaching position. It feels like that, I wouldn't say that both parties, maybe both parties are kind of uh, 
mentally prepared for a potential uh, change. And I'm actually hearing that Barcelona, they're really about to have a budget uh, cut, quite significant. Um, FS, it seems like they are getting uh, the deal done with Erdem Jan. Uh, it's not clear what Andrea Trinquiere will do. There are rumors that he might take over uh, Zenit St. Petersburg and he might be the potential next coach for this Dubai project. I mean, a lot of a lot of interesting stu- stu- uh, stuff going on. And it was said that this Final Four will kind of have a domino effect for the coaching mar- market. And it can actually start with Chus Mateo potentially staying in, in, in Real Madrid. So we'll see. It's going to be a very interesting weeks, I guess. Do we want to talk about how great that third place game was? That's what I want. I had a joke prepared. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. The stage is set. Right? And and I I want to talk to you, August, since since you're the guy who who did all these breakdowns during the season and all the video analysis and s- such great job for for basket news and for for basketball fans everywhere. I have one final task for you. You need to do a two-hour breakdown of the third-place game. Two-hour breakdown? Yeah, it has to be play-by-play. Play. Every set has to be analyzed. Wow. Every, every play has to be analyzed in detail. Uh, I need you to do a breakdown of the game because uh, that that was a huge game. <laughs> that was the most uh, you can unwatchable how, game of the you season. You can see how Barcelona wanted to be there. It was. I felt Look, so Barcelona, bad for Barcelona, Barcelona left at 9 p.m. and they didn't even watch the final. But to me, it thought like they left at 9 a.m. They left on the Friday They night. left after no, the semifinal. They left on Friday night. Yeah. Okay. That's Maybe that's their bodies were still there, but their minds and souls I mean, left. On, I don't on want Friday. to get into Mirotic's shoes. I mean, he was subbed in with six minutes to play in the fourth quarter when the team was down by 20 points. I mean, come on. But stop, stop. Uh, you know, how kicking. much more of this does EuroLeague need to stop this to stop playing these third place games because nobody wants them nobody needs them the players don't want them the coaches don't want them the fans don't want them the commentators don't want them the journalists don't want them the whole media doesn't and want it them it looks like that you like they don't want it either because did you did you notice the show the the program around this game there was nothing so uh, there was no program around why is this game still a thing why is this game still a thing why me? it's so hard to put I mean, the Euro Cup final for for instead of third place game it's cool for monaco they want it uh it's cool for guys like matthew strozel for example for for them as a as a new club that has been here for the first time third place doesn't doesn't sound bad but still that game is not needed it's not necessary i mean it we had a a good event in Konos, but when you have to go to the gym and watch that game and, and work during that game, it sucks the life out of you, honestly. I wouldn't pretend that I was probably not even watching the game. I think, I, I we, was went, kind of... I think we went to the arena and we were about to go to the press boxes and then you started chatting with some colleagues and probably you didn't even... Yeah, didn't even leave I the saw area. A couple of <laughs> possessions, but to, the best part was the conversation with Mike James after the game. We just spoke about things, uh, the way he defends Nikola Mirotic, uh, actually, uh, the way he sees his future with, with with Monaco. He was pretty pretty open. That was a great conversation to have. It was way better than the game for the third place. And I just don't get it. If they still try to pretend that Eurocup was important, why not to put Eurocup final for the final four event? It would be, make way much uh, much sense it would give a uh attention that these teams the Eurocup finalists deserves for making the final because now mm-hmm. they put the game in the gran canaria they don't even send basically any people from the euroleague to take care of things as 
and uh, Turk Telecom bus trip to, to the arena for the final, for yeah, instance. Yeah. Come on, guys. That game was played on a Wednesday right before game five. Right after Who two games. Nobody, not, not game fives, but uh, playoff games. There are yeah. many people that didn't even notice that that game was happening because yeah. there was a EuroLeague action, there was yeah. uh, Champions League football, and some of my friends uh, were texting me like, there's a Euro Cup final? Yeah. Why didn't you say to us? And uh, yes, that's, that's a possible solution. Uh, the other solution could be just don't play the game. That's it. Yeah. Don't waste time of these teams that don't, couldn't be bothered being there. I mean, they lose the semifinal, let them go home and... and I would rather uh, watch the ANGT final and in Jalgir Arena before the final for game. Sure, for sure, for sure. Have shit. some activities for the fans. Do whatever, yeah. but just don't play the third place game. And we're, we're giving too much time to that, I think. But speaking of fan activities, I mean, <laughs> maybe I'm biased because basically every week or every two weeks I had an opportunity to watch some really great show that Jalgiris people organize for every yearly game, but Euroleague should discuss something with Jalgiris people. I mean, the, the whole entertaining, uh, entertaining program, the whole fan experience. If I was about to pay 500 or even <laughs> our 1,000 euros, I would be really disappointed. Guys. Look, one thing I can say about this, uh, not everything that works in America can work in Europe. And these dance camps, kiss camps, they look so cringy. They actually work in Jalgiris games. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But it, it's just because it's just a very small part of the whole event. But there it felt like the throwing t-shirts and doing kiss camps was the main it, it thing. Was, it was cringe. Like these announcers maybe did a good job pretending that they're into it and, and trying to have some fun. But the people didn't understand what, what, what did they want from them. I think most of the people on the kiss cam didn't even realize they they have to kiss or do something. There was this karaoke cam. Nobody, was this nobody beer was cam. singing beer cam. What? A, that was cringe, honestly. <laughs> honestly, like, the biggest thing that got people uh, rooting for for anything that was shown on screen is that when when you when the screen showed uh, you know the Olympiakos rivals. Because the Greek fans could yeah. boo the former uh, power legend Ramuna Shishkauskas, for example. Yeah. And if this is what was gave the biggest, you know, had the biggest reaction from the fans, you know how how bad the entertainment part were. And basically, they I were mean, also cheering for some some guys true, like Sophocles, Papalukas, former Olympiakos yeah, players. But if, if this is the main entertainment, then then, then it's like you know, and and. And uh, we I, had I, we I, had a broadcast right over, right, uh, right below the Olympiakos fans. The the in the you had a studio set there, right? exactly. Mm -hmm. And it was like w once uh, they said, uh, if it it was if it wasn't for us guys, you would have a shit uh, atmosphere and stuff like that. And they were they were you know I agree with them you know mm -hmm. because without them it, it it would have been pretty sad because the third place game, I mean it was a complete silence until they. It I mean, during the, the semifinals, I was also a bit disappointed with the mm -hmm. empty seats because I remember when they started uh, the ticket sales, there there was this big hype uh, and the tickets were expensive. Uh, but in the end, maybe not those teams that people expected qualified for the final four. And, and we saw a lot of empty seats and, and you could buy tickets on the resale market for very cheap prices. I heard some people bought uh, tickets to the semifinals like one hour before the game for, for 20 euros. Okay. 
Uh, wow, really? Yeah, because like maybe some some people who bought the tickets just with the purpose of reselling them mm-hmm. were kind of desperate. And, and uh, th- those tickets were available for very cheap prices. And, and, and they were so many open spaces in the, in the most expensive ones in the Audi club. Yeah, so um, atmosphere, atmosphere it, it wise, there like one thousand, one point five k. So, atmosphere wise, I agree that Olympiacos fans created this whole. Uh, I felt yesterday like I was in the in the middle of uh, you know the the tribune the, of the fans. Hmm. So that was a that was quite an experience for me. The, the strange part is that Euroleague really tries to sell this Final Four event as the biggest event of the season, and if you're selling it as the biggest event of the season this way, I mean, as I said. Going to every regular season game in Jalgir Arena, I get a way better fan experience as a journalist than those who went to the Final Four. So I was kind of disappointed. The good thing is that as outside of that, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people and they really liked this whole experience, having a Final Four in Konas. Uh, because because everywhere and every corner you could feel that this is a basketball country. Everybody knows basketball. There were a lot of basketball people, both in Vilnius and Konas. And... Thank God we had a nice weather uh, mm. during the weekend. So at least those uh, those mm, guests of Lithuania felt what we are really about, and that that's great, you know, to make the, them this great impression. But as soon as you enter the arena, I would have been disappointed if I I bought tickets for close to one thousand euro. It is what the Euroleague is, you know, at the moment, I guess, you know, and they they are improving, I know, but it's one of the best products on the court and then everything else is you know lacking in quality still i know it's you know moving in the right direction but i think it still needs a lot of work to make this a great basketball product so to 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 sell and since we're talking about fan experience uh what do you think uh would an american viewer who's tuning into espn free um like what he's seeing like let's say to be Olympiacos monaco third quarter 2072 uh, a two-free zone for for thirty-five minutes in a Euroleague final, and uh, uh, they're o- used open, to NCAA jump basketball, shots. so probably it was not that bad for them. Because NCAA, NCAA basketball sometimes is is way more ugly than. But what these we are saw professional professional basketball players, and Still. maybe if you're a an American fan who's let's say more into it, you, you're thinking like, okay, they're missing a lot of shots. I have to check these guys. Oh, I remember this guy was on the bench of, of the Utah Jazz. This guy was on the bench of, of Cleveland Cavaliers or whatever. And I don't think that this event, it was broadcasted by ESPN. Somebody watched it. I don't think that it it, it was like the, the thing that will unlock the American market uh, for the EuroLeague right now. It wasn't as exciting, although the final game... Uh, was great because it went to the last seconds and we had a game-winning shot and everything. Uh, so that was awesome. But yeah. the semifinals, I think some people could have left uh, disappointed with the quality of basketball they, they, they've witnessed in the semifinals. Could be, but you know, there's this saying, especially for fi- final games, usually those games are ugly. Uh, single elimination games, do or yeah, die maybe. games. So Even a know. good team like Olympia. At, least, at least it was better than last year. If you're game not, under 60 points. If let's say you're not uh, used to watching Olympiacos and you don't know much about them and you watch the first half of Olympiacos Monaco and and then you check the standings, they're the number one seed in this league. 
because that was the team who missed nine free throws and missed so many open shots and layups and they they scored 29 points in the first half you know everybody <laughs> could have a bad half yeah uh, i'm think, i'm just you know, saying even that, in the nba that uh yeah I, i mean i'm not sure if 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 you know i mean at least the final was nice it le- it went to the final minutes yeah. to the to the last the shot the tension was there and everything uh, else yes. 27 and 2 is also special You don't see that often, and and Olympiacos were playing amazing defense and playing great offense. So, uh, yeah, that first half of that semifinal wasn't as good quality wise, but it's it's I don't know. You, you can't really ask for a better ending to a product than you know you end the season with yeah, a shot with yeah. three seconds left. At so, least I hope the third place game was not broadcasted on ESPN. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> a good point uh, i hope so but yeah i mean the game to be the euroleague season to be decided by the final shot just it it was the best it was the best chair and the cake because the whole euroleague season was super competitive one of the tightest seasons that we ever witnessed and to have this game it, it was just a perfect uh, setting to, to finish the season whether you're a fan of real madrid or not uh speaking of those changes that you has to do i mean It's hard to expect some changes. By the way, I think that announcer of the final game deserves some some few remarks from our side. I mean, I don't want to be that you know angry, complaining guy, old guy over 30 who's complaining about everything. But if you are announcer of the game, I think especially for you guys, commentators, it should be something like, you know, casual thing to see how the surnames are pronounced. You cannot call Kanan fall a uh, fall and there were kuzur and things i mean and this guy he's doing his job for maybe 10 years i, I remember he's doing for for a long time you can do this you can do it this way and it just showed me that it feels like a lot of people who are involved in making this final four event they don't really love basketball they don't really are passionate about basketball because in some ways it's disrespect disrespectful to the job you're doing and to the product that you're delivering uh, maybe it's a it's not it's nothing special for for the average fan who is not so so much into details but for the super fan i think it's a bit disrespectful i was with my headphones during game so okay. i didn't really pay attention too much to the announcer how he was uh, pronouncing the names but i also think that Again, maybe it's not for me to judge uh, other people's job, but uh, when you're announcing who scored, it should be more simple than saying two points for Olympiacos by Costas Lucas. It's like it feels like he he in, in the, announces the fact that it was a two pointer. He looks at the box score yeah. to check the number seven. Okay, who is he? And then to read the name. Because in home games, when you have the home team announcer. He just shouts the name of the yeah. guy who scored, and that's it. And But if it's a free pointer, you they, add it. And they, it's, it's I think that Euroleague should bring those best announcers that Euroleague has. That maybe some so. Home maybe gyms maybe that's a that's a solution. Yeah. Uh, if you want that, you need a, to make a series. Again, we're going back to the same fact. Yeah, well, that that's, this is this is a final four. That's this a never-ending discussion. New, neutral mm. location, so you kind of have to do that, but you have to do it in a way that's or or neutral. Bring, 
bring all of the announcers from all four participa- participating teams and let them to announce the points, let's say, after they score. That wouldn't be that too much. You know, he's shouting until the other team is in the possession, you know, for seven seconds and I'm then just, the I'm other team scores. Brainstorming and like... some solutions, yeah. But the thing is that it's hard to expect any of the changes when I'm hearing that there's still this uncertainty uncertainty about the EuroLeague front office future. I'm hearing that it's not clear if Marshall Glickman will continue his job. I'm hearing that there's this still this clash between some teams and they're taking opposite positions whether he should continue or not. After so one year? Huh? After so he, he was actually a temp. It was a one-year deal. Uh, and now he okay. he is about to extend the deal or not. It's about if clubs will offer him a new deal or not. So again, I'm I don't know if he did a good job or not. Probably those shareholders know better. But if you're you, if it took so long for you to make a change, and now after one year you're changing the one of the main guys again, and it's not clear who's gonna replace him. I mean, it's it just shows that Euroleague is in a tough uh, situation right now. But the last topic I wanted to to cover is what Olympiakos' future stands for. I mean, Sasha Vizankov is most likely to leave uh, Olympiakos. Uh, they will need to find a replacement. Uh, Cannon is on an expiring uh, deal. He's set to hit the free agency. W- what do you think? Who would be the best replacement for Vizankov from the current market or even from the players who are under the contract? Would you keep Isaiah Cannon... <laughs> Uh, would you do any other changes? Because the way they did, I mean, it's, it's yeah. also great that front office signed a lot of extensions uh, in the recent months, and basically the whole roster is set. Yes, Lucas and Papanoclao officially they didn't extend yet, but it's kind of a clear thing that they're going to stay here. So there's not mm. much uh, space for uh, potential moves, but what would you do with the major positions? Uh, my priority is continuity in this case because it was a great season, even though you didn't win the title. So I would I would like to keep the core of the team, Isaiah Cannon. I think he should be respected as, as one of the core players. And he he did what he could, what he can in the final, hitting all those shots. So he, he has value to the team. And I, mean, and I think that not only hitting shots, his defense in the yeah, final he's four very aggressive. was something. Even he, that he, this he last very aggressive play that we discussed with uh, Olympiakos being up by four so, and coaching challenge situation where he his defense led them to get the ball in the crucial moment. Maybe the player and his agent will will explore some other options. I don't know. Maybe he wants something else. Uh, but if if there's a possibility, I would I would go to negotiations and try to extend the contract and keep as many players as I can from this current roster. And obviously, if Vazenkov is leaving for the NBA, uh, it's not like you can sign a like-for-like like replacement. It's not like there's a, he's a so player un- who's, he's so who, unique. who's just as good as Vazenkov at all these things that that um, Vazenkov does and and you just sign him and you're good to go i think that would ask for a a different task uh, to the front office and to the head coach you you will sign somebody to be the power forward but you will have to adapt the way you play a little bit because you will not have a player who was as good as Vazenkov is uh, with this all off ball movement mm-hmm. scoring and everything else he's the mvp so I don't expect them to replace Sasha Vazenkov with another player who will drop uh, 16 points and, and eight rebounds uh, every single night. On one dribble. <laughs> On one, <laughs> one or Probably. two dribbles. But I expect- Probably the replacement will make... Uh, 
11 dribbles in one possession. But, <laughs> but I, I still so ex- talking about adjustments, how you to how you play, you know. So I still expect them to be a contender. Maybe they will be a more guard-oriented team or, or they will change the way they play a little bit, but Sokas will have some ideas. Uh, it's not like they need a rebuild. They will need to sign two or three players in the summer and make decisions about uh, some guys that are still currently playing for them, Isaiah Cannon being one of those. Like I think they are in a really tough situation. I think he's such a unique player that it's really hard to change him and expect the same results uh and i think it creates also a domino effect how way you go how you how you approach this situation either you you sign uh you know a guy who can score points for the in the fourth position or you maybe go uh, a little bit lower profile player but you know who could play good defense who can stretch the floor but you then you know, as much as I, I, I love Isaiah Cannon and I thought uh-huh. he played great games, then maybe if you go for a lower profile player and for a power forward position, because we know how hard it is and how market for the power forward position is. So maybe you go for another, you know, guard, taller, who can score. Or Kevin Punter, uh, let's say. Ooh. Yeah. Kevin I Punter. mean, if you if you save money for the stretch four position, exactly. you probably can go after Kevin Punter. If because you, the thing is that Olympiakos will get a buyout from Bezenko, which is around 1.5 million. And then, of course, you have this uh, more uh, space in the salary cap because Bezenko was also about mm. to get a huge paycheck the next season. So we're talking about some nice, solid money for replacements. And from what I heard, they're about to invest those money in improving the roster, not just improving the facilities mm. or whatever. So then, yeah, then it really decides who you get, who you take for the power forward spot. Maybe we, even with this money, maybe they could think of signing two high quality, like, you know, high profile players. So I uh, agree. I because, agree. because, you know, changing two players and keeping everybody else is still to me kind of just reworking around the core, mm. the core that you have right now. What we've learned about Olympiacos is they always have very good spacing offensively. So you need to have a stretch four. It's not going to be Vazenkov, but it has to be uh, a, who can a, shoot. a power forward who can shoot. So if, let's say, you have power forwards, Alec Peters and, I'm just brainstorming, Matt Costello, and you have a dominant center in Mustafa Fall, then it's about your guards. And then, yes, I agree that you will not have Vazenkov, but if you can sign uh, an elite uh, offensive player, for any other position, like a combo guard, a shooting guard, a two slash three, mm. uh, you could still be uh, a serious contender for the EuroLeague title. And as you mentioned, money is probably not going to be a, an issue. They've been working very well uh, recently in the recent years. Uh, I think like Mustafa Fall, if you don't have a Zenkov, you can run more offense through your center maybe. That's mm. another option. Because he's so good, back to the basket. He's also a very good passer. If he draws the help defense, he will always pass the ball to an open player. So you can expect maybe Mustafa Fall to have an even bigger impact next season when Wazenkov leaves. It's just some thoughts, but I still believe that Olympiakos is in a good position. Now it hurts because you Mm -hmm. didn't win the title. Your ultimate goal, uh, you're still going to be chasing it, but they still have some good years of Costas Lucas left for sure. So they're gonna be fine. I I, yeah. I think they'll they'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So just for the end, uh, huge credit, huge shout out to entire Basket News crew that worked in the final four. I would say that the whole Basket News team, including 
co-hosts of the podcast, including writers, social media people, video people, marketing people, everybody in, uh, from the office. They worked as Olympiacos do on the court. There was a lot of <laughs> motion. There was a lot of off-ball movements, a lot of different pieces, making it uh, together to huge, nice uh, products because to have this great basket news friend zone next to Jalgarina, to have this whole team working their asses off in the gym and also behind the scenes. I mean, everyone was involved. So it was huge shout out to the entire basket news team. It was a great journey. It was a great final four. And thanks a lot f uh, for everyone watching us, supporting us, giving the feedback, uh, delivering hate comments, delivering, uh, sharing your love. Thanks for everyone who approached us. And I mean, that's also shows how people appreciate not only this podcast, yeah. but, but yeah. basket news in general, what we are doing on social media and everywhere. And there were just people coming in and saying, yeah, basket, you're from basket news, keep doing whatever you're doing. You're doing an amazing job for European basketball. So my colleague from Estonia wanted me to tell you guys that he listens to every podcast and even in Estonia, we're being heard. So he That's wanted right. to say that he loves our show. So that's that's huge credit to everybody and so cool just to be in a position to talk about basketball with like-minded people is, is so awesome and to also get some recognition because of that uh it, it's just such an amazing feeling and huge credit to the whole basket news team for making this this possible i i had german people saying they're watching this podcast you know, they're saying we don't have something like this uh, there and, you know, you're talking in English, so it's awesome. I, I met uh, volunteers from Istanbul after the game yesterday. They said, yeah, we're listening to every podcast, people from Spain, people from Turkey, everywhere just saying, you know, keep doing and uh, and, it and it was so cool that people, you know, are not afraid to come and, and, and yeah. say these all things because I think nowadays it's really hard for other people to, for some people to, you know, give compliments if, if somebody is doing a great job. So that's what I like that they approached. I really love the question in the po post-final press conference uh, by one journalist. And she said that uh, coach, uh, it was the question to uh, choose Mateo, coach, you got two awards uh, tonight, uh, two big uh, trophies. First of all, the EuroLeague title, and then the MVP of your team giving this great speech uh, about you being the head coach. So I kind of <laughs> felt, similar way um, meeting fan, a group of Olympiacos fans and them saying that you guys, your podcast unites basketball people in, in Europe. So I was well, like, this was my truth moment. Maybe so, sometimes <laughs> some opinions divide people, but <laughs> let's not get into that right now. Yeah. Let's take only the good part, you know? Yeah, so, so yeah, thanks for being uh, together with us. If you want to be even closer with us, uh, join Beyond Plus community uh, where we have uh, a lot of extra features uh, some some articles under the paywall, uh, great WhatsApp chat with a great uh, community of Basket News uh, fans. You can become BN Plus members on basketnews.com slash plus. And we will take some time off, uh, definitely. Uh, the podcast might be a bit different in the upcoming week, weeks. We'll try to cover the most interesting domestic league games. I believe that Red Star Partisan Fight and ABBA League should be... Dramatic you, al as always. you already know it's going to be a fight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're not even saying game. You're, In all means, by all fight. means. Yeah. yeah, so we might have another El Clasico. So still a lot of great basketball is, is to be played in the upcoming weeks. But yeah, it might be a bit different. It was a great journey this year with the EuroLeague basketball. And see you the next time. Yeah, see you soon. Thank see you, you soon. Everyone.